I, uh, I read through that text and I thought this would be a great week for a guest preacher. <laughs> and so today we do have uh, a special treat. This has actually been on the books for uh, quite a while and I'm excited uh, in two directions. I'm excited, one, to introduce all of you to uh, Father Danny Bryant, who's here from Nashville, but I'm also excited to introduce Father Danny to you. Uh, I'm so proud of, of Sanctuary in this community and who you are. and. Uh, how grace-filled this community is. Father Danny is uh, the priest, the rector of St. Mary of Bethany Parish uh, in Nashville, Tennessee. He and his wife, Rebecca, have four children. Danny has lived in Middle Tennessee for over 20 years, but grew up in Southern California, which is a point that he will make sure to tell you if you ask him. He became a pastor in 2010 after teaching elementary school and coaching high school basketball and softball for 10 years. He enjoys reading, hiking, music, playing and watching sports, and spending time with his family and his friends. So Sanctuary, will you help me in welcoming Father Danny Bryant? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good morning. Let me pray. Uh, Father, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Lord, our rock and our redeemer, Amen. Um, thanks again for the welcome. Thanks again for the hospitality. Um, this is my first time to really spend any time in Oklahoma. I've enjoyed being in Tulsa and uh, getting to spend time with Bishop Ed and Father Paul and various other members. So um, thanks for having me. Father Preston and I had lunch uh, Thursday. I'm assuming many of you know him. I'm just grateful for new friendships and um, thankful to be here. I did look at the lectionary uh, when <laughs> I saw that this week's, um, what my assignment would be and speaking to a, a room full of strangers, I thought, oh good, a weird one. Um, <laughs> but I've spent a few uh, moments this week just trying to get to know you. It's like, who, who will I be speaking to this week? And the way we do that in 2022 is look at Facebook pages, right? And um, let's see who, who will be there, what's going on there, what's the life of the community like. And I saw the, um, the pilgrimage that is being um, offered as an invitation to go to the American South. And uh, as mentioned, I am not from the American South. I am from the American Southwest. Um, but I have lived in Nashville for a long time. Um, and the American South is a fascinating, haunted place um, to live, especially when you have sort of a perspective um, of an outsider that relocates there. There are things that I think when we're, when we're sort of an outsider, we, we can see things that when we were so in something, we, we might not be able to see. And um, I got to go on a similar pilgrimage for a graduate program at Lipscomb University, which is in Nashville. And we went through from Nashville to Memphis, down through Mississippi to Jackson, um, to Selma, to Montgomery, to Birmingham and back to Nashville and stopped in various places along the way. And our first stop was Memphis at the Lorraine Motel where Dr. King was killed and the civil rights, the American Civil Rights Museum is there in Memphis. And um, it's a fascinating museum. You, you enter um, and you see the hotel and you see the balcony and they have cars that um, I don't know if they, like the exact same cars, but, it, but there's, you're, you're sort of in the photograph that we've all seen. 
um, when you enter the hotel and you, and you go through the museum and it, and it loops you through the history of racism in America um, and you end in this setting where you're looking at Dr. King's hotel room um, where he would have stayed that day and then you're looking out at the balcony. Um, it's a very, it's a, it's a dis disorienting experience. Um, but when we pulled up in our bus, the first person we met was a woman who was protesting the museum. Her name's Jacqueline Smith. And in 1988, 20 years after Dr. King's death, she was evicted from the Lorraine Motel so they could turn it into a museum. And she, the last news article I could find about this, I went in 2021 and she was still there. I'm assuming she's still doing this. But the last news article I could find about it was 2018. It was like, what is, what is she doing? What is this protest? And here's what she says she's doing. I have to explain that I have no problem whatsoever with a National Civil Rights Museum. But I truly believe that the Lorraine Motel is capable of being so much more than an empty space. The reporter says, Smith believes the museum is a tourist trap which focuses too much on the violence of King's death instead of the work he did when alive. We've seen the glorification of death and negativity with the multi-million dollar purchase of the rooming house from where Dr. King was shot. We've seen gruesome artifacts purchased and displayed. And we've seen the Lorraine Motel host countless black tie dinners where the limousines and ball gowns grace the streets. And Smith says, but what we've seen most is the complete disconnect between Dr. King's dreams and aspirations and what the Lorraine actually offers today. Support for the homeless and disadvantaged, healthcare and help for the old and infirm. These are the issues that matter to Dr. King, and they still matter today. So her shelter, her home, was taken so that there could be a museum. And her presence and her protest asks the question, did Dr. King die for a museum? Was the dream a museum? Or was the dream shelter? And the Sadducees today um, are sort of these black tie <laughs> wearing, gala throwing, have a lot invested in not believing in the resurrection group of people. The resurrection is dangerous to the political and the economic realm. Anybody read the parable of the sower, Octavia Butler? She says, there is no limit to what a living world will demand of you. There's no limit to what a living world will demand of you. And so the Sadducees have this motivation, this religious, political, wealthy merger has motivation to not believe in a resurrection. 
Um, I, have, I have been assigned uh, the, the assignment of reading The Great Gatsby. I chose my senior year of high school to not accept that assignment. Um, but I was walking with a neighbor who is reading The Great Gatsby right now. So I'm, this is Tommy is who got me this quote this week. And I don't know that it's a direct quote, but he said he's reading and he's um, a fascinating guy to be a neighbor with. But he said... Uh, um, there's a line in The Great Gatsby, it says, they speak of everything and they speak of nothing. So the point I think in coming to this odd reading is not to dive into speaking of everything to speak of nothing, but to see the motivation of these kinds of conversations that lead us nowhere, that maintain a kind of museum. But if the resurrection of the dead is true, the world is alive. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us. Not so that we would be a kind of museum for Jesus, but so that we would be living um, stones, building a shelter in the world for one of the Eucharist prayers we, we pray each, Eucharistic prayers that we pray each week is that so we and all your children shall be free and the whole earth live to glorify your name. Rowan Williams speaks of the resurrection um, in this way from his book, The Sign and the Sacrifice. The resurrection is the seed of the whole theology of Christian orthodoxy. And it's also the seed of the theology of the church. Belief in the resurrection is what makes the church more than just the Jesus of Nazareth society. Because believing in the resurrection and the new creation, the new age, the final phase of God's action, means that those who relate to Jesus relate to him as a contemporary, not as a memory, as a reality over against them, not just in their heads and thoughts. They're being drawn to stand with Jesus in his present life the life he now lives to God. And that's why the church speaks of Jesus as God with us, alive and active in all that we say and do in response to his presence with us through the spirit. There's a, um, a Jesuit theologian named Bernard Bernard, Bernard Cook. Um, and he says, this is the word of God. <laughs> you live each moment asking the question or letting Jesus ask the question that he asked his disciples, um, who do people say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And if we will confess and welcome, and I think even more than that, just be aware, the resurrection doesn't depend on us knowing it's happening. It's always happening. The world is alive with the grandeur of God. And our job as people of prayer, it's, it's, it, it's better than a job, right? Our invitation as people of prayer is to pay attention and receive. Where is the new creation? Where is the new creation? And Cook says that if we'll say, who do people say Jesus is? Who does Jesus say he is? And if we'll submit to one another, say, who do you say that he is? This is who I've experienced him to be. We see the word of God grow among us to bring shelter of the love of God 
to all of God's children so that they can be free and the whole earth live to praise his name. I went to the Civil Rights Museum another time um, with a group of seventh graders. When my oldest was a seventh grader, he's now a, a junior in high school, but there, so this like 100 seventh graders took a bus from Nashville to Memphis, which is about a three and a half hour ride. And so that's a lot of energy on the bus. Um, and like maybe the best place for the first stop isn't the scene of America's like most famous martyrdom, right? Like it, it's just, it was a tough transition in energy wise. But He, he was in a school with all of God's children. Such a diverse group. And Nashville is the second largest Kurdish population in the world is Nashville, Tennessee, which is mind-blowing. But Kurdish kids and Arabic kids and um, black kids and white kids and Hispanic kids and all off the bus and at the foot of the rail, there's a marker. And it says on the marker, the Genesis passage about Joseph. So right underneath where Dr. King is killed, it says, let us kill the dreamer and see what becomes of his dream. And in front of that plaque, the dream was happening children were playing together. And there was this understandable desire from the adults to want to get in and police that dream, to be sort of security guards of, you shouldn't be playing there. It's a somber space. And I don't know, it's the week of all saints. And I think that this passage today, that, that Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, he's the God of the living and Dr. King. So maybe in a mysterious way, I don't know you well enough to throw this out there, but maybe in a mysterious way, it was the voice of Dr. King in my ear. Because he's the God of the living, saying, let them play. This is the dream. Don't police it. Don't security guard it. Let it happen. Receive it joyfully. This is all things becoming new for the freedom of the earth. And so our invitation today is to be people who don't control the resurrection, people who don't um, need to master the resurrection, people who don't want to talk about everything to talk about nothing. To not be the society of Jesus of Nazareth, to not build a museum, but to say, how does my life cooperating with the resurrected Lord the God of Abraham, Isaac, Moses, Dr. King, countless others. When we go to the table today, we are mystically connected to the body of Christ, past, future, present. I don't know how it happens, but we will be. And that is for the shelter of the world, not for a religious museum. Would you pray with me? Pray that you would open our hearts, our desires, 
our affections, our imaginations, to see where the new creation is happening and when our temptation is to reach in and grab it and control it and take it. Pray that we would have the humility to step back, extend hands and receive it by your grace, for your glory and through your peace. In Jesus' name, amen.